our song to you never end. An endless hallelujah, Lord. Though with every breath we have left in our bodies, we proclaimed your goodness. We would fail to even come close to your glory. And so, Lord, with all that we have, we offer to you all that we are. May you get great glory through your church. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Pastor Benji, come on up, brother. All right. Now, for those of you who may not have had the honor yet of getting to meet this magnificent, most high reverend, uh (laughs) Pastor Benji, Um, Pastor Benji is the pastor of the Vine Baptist Church, which is a Filipino congregation that meets here with us. And um, every fifth Sunday, we join together for services together. And then afterwards, we're going to have a a nice fellowship meal. And so if you plan to stick around, great. If you didn't stick around anyway, we've got plenty of food. We'd love to have you. And Pastor Benji is going to share with us. I'm going to try and talk him into staying in English. Because if you go into Tagalog, we might be in trouble. Um, (laughs) But, but you just do what God lays on your heart as far as that goes, and I want to pray for you before you begin, okay? Father, I lift up Pastor Benji to you, and I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity you've given him to be your servant. And so, Father, I pray that you fill him with yourself this morning, that you help him to bring the word of God that you've given to him, that you've laid on his heart. And today, Lord, as you use him in our lives... Lord, we pray that you undergird him, that you strengthen him, and that as he delivers your message, we are changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Can you hear me? Can you see me? (laughs) I know, I think I'm the smallest (laughs) preacher who ever stood on this pulpit. And don't worry, I try my best not to speak in Tagalog. Maybe you'd say, wow, they speak in tongues. <laughs> <laughs> if you could stand, let's all uh, stand up and read. Could you put this on? Ready? There, our text this morning is found on Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Let's all read this all together. One day, Moses was standing the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush isn't, why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here am I. Moses replied, do not come any closer. The Lord warned, take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. 
I have heard the cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and led them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to the Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. The title of the message this morning is simply Worship. Next. Anyone of you knows this guy? <clears throat> no. This guy, his name is George Malo. I could please be seated. <laughs> <laughs> I'm overtaken. This guy is George Mallory. He is a British mountaineer. And in the early 1920s, he and some men attempted to climb Mount Everest. And their goal is to reach the peak or the summit. First time, he failed because of the harsh conditions. Second time, he failed. And the third time, he failed and some of his men died. But in June 1924, he again decided to climb Mount Everest the fourth time and with someone named Andrew Irvine. Again, they tried to climb to reach the summit, but they failed. They never come back. They were assumed dead. 75 years later, in May 1999, Mallory's body was found. Did, a frozen body. It did not decompose and was found at about 800 feet below the summit. And based on the positioning of the body, is as if crawling towards the summit. So he died trying to reach the peak or the summit. When he was still alive, the, uh, <clears throat> the press, the New York, New York Herald, asked him, why? Why climb Mount Everest? And his answer is, because it's there. Because it's there. It seems the answer is simple, shallow, not scholarly, if you will. But it does make sense. Mallory sees Mount Everest standing over there. And Mallory was so captivated, he saw the mystery and the beauty of that mountain that he could not help it. He could not resist it. There's something he could not explain, he could not describe, but the beckoning of that mountain is so strong that he's got, he's got to climb it. Why? Because it's there. <clears throat> On May 29, 1953, <clears throat> Edmund Hillary, a New Zealand mountaineer, and his companion, a Nepalese, Tenzing Norgay, reached the summit and came back alive. They were the first one to reach the summit, came back alive. And because of that, people realized, whoa, that is doable. So the population of 
people going wanting to climb this mountain has extended to a uh, there was a population boost even today even today even this very day people are gathered at the foot of this mountain trying to climb and reach the summit and ever since man tried to conquer this mountain and people's lives are lost year after year after year because of extreme cold they got loss of avalanche this year alone 2019 there were a report of 11 deaths of people trying to climb and reach the summit of that mountain of these hundreds of lives that were lost perhaps thousands died trying to reach the summit of this mount everest question is is it worth it if those dead could only speak, they will tell you, because it is there. You ask those who reached the summit and came back, you say, is it worth it? What can you see there? Just rags and ice? They would say, I don't know. I can't describe it. I, I can't explain, but I got to climb it again because it is there. The same thing with worship. And when I say worship, I mean the real worship. True. Worship that is acceptable unto God. Worship that gives God glory and delight. In other words, when you ask a worshiper, a true worshiper, why go to church and worship? He would reply, because God is there. Amen. This is the only answer that God accepts of why we worship Him even in this place because He, God, is here. The problem with us Christians today and even today's churches, we have come up with a different answer beside that answer. And the answer, because God is there, is has somewhat become obsolete and just cast it aside to make room for new answers. I was once driving and I, there's a, a turn on the radio and <clears throat> there's this advertisement about the church inviting people to come. And they made an audio clip of people being interviewed, why did you go there? And here are the new answers. They say, I like this church because there is the work, uh, parking space so wide. I don't have trouble looking for my, to park my car. They have shuttle service. Wow, the church building, it's so fantastic. I love the aircon. The seats are comfortable, just like the cinema seat. They like the technology. Wow, this giant monitors and the sound system is so hi-fi. And the strobe lights and the lights, the spotlight, and all of that. And the choir, they love the choir, the orchestra. It, they are so professional. As if I am it, I'm listening to a recording. And the band, they're hot. <laughs> Makes me want to dance and jump. 
Say, all right. Woo. <laughs> and the message, I'm good with it. I'm being insulted. They don't preach about sin. They don't preach about hell. They don't preach about repentance. They don't preach about Christian responsibility and accountability. They don't preach salvation. They preach Christ without the cross. They preach love without sacrifice. They preach salvation without repentance. I'm good at it. I, I have nothing to do. Just see it. I don't feel good. Notwithstanding the food and coffee. <laughs> but if you take all of this, white parking space, church building with all its grand architecture, the sound system, the technology, all of this uh, orchestra, what's left? Nothing. God is not there. Because they exchange their reason for a different reason. If there's only one reason why we come here, it is because God is here. If these are our reasons ourselves to come and worship and not because of God, then we have missed the mark. We have missed the target of worship, which is to experience and glorify God and not getting out of worship, getting something out of worship. Next, please. I have read a book by Franklin Segler about worship, and he said this, True worship is worshiping God for the sake of worshiping God alone. Other motives invalidates worship, whether how good it is. Worship used for any purpose other than God's glory is not true worship. God must be worshiped for God's own glory, or worship is idolatry, however worthy its motivation. No wonder. Sunday services after Sunday services. For years, Christians walk out of the door of their churches with no change at all. No change in their lives. No spiritual growth. No spiritual maturity. No victories in their Christian lives. And their Christian lives just goes around and around and around going nowhere. They miss God. They miss the real object of worship because God is not there. Is it hot in here? <laughs> I get so thirsty all the time. <clears throat> we need to reclaim our reason for worship. We need to go back to the real and true purpose of worship and proclaim and declare to the four corners of the world and say, I've come to worship because God is here. And he's all my reason I'm here. He's all my purpose I'm here. He's all my desire I'm here. He's all my delight I'm here because God is here. He's the only one I worship and no one else and nothing else. 
I've come to worship because God is here and I don't care what other people say. And try to stop me, I'm not gonna let that happen. I don't care what the world would say to me and try to stop me, I'm not gonna let that happen. I don't care what Satan and all his evil cohorts say to me and try to stop me, I'm not gonna let that happen. People, world, Satan, and you de demons, out of my way, I have come to worship today because God is here. The big question now is how? How can we go back to the real worship? Let's go back to our text. <clears throat> In verse 2, it says, There the angel of the Lord appeared to him, to Moses. In a blazing fire from the middle of the bush, Moses started in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. Here's Moses. Forty years ago, he was in a palace. <laughs> now he is in the wilderness, standing sheep. He's a shepherd. His life become boring. But this day is a different from the other days. He saw a bush burning. And while waiting for that bush to be consumed by fire, he said, hmm, it's not consumed. This is amazing. He was captivated by it, mesmerized. He said, I, I got, I got to see it. Which brings bring us to principle number one. When we are in the presence of God, we are drawn to his mystery and we cannot help it but worship him with awe and wonder. It's like Moses. He was mesmerized by this thing that he saw. He was puzzled by the mystery. He said, I, I must see this thing. The mountaineers, even though some of them died, many of them died, they saw this mountain, they are mesmerized. I got, I just got to climb it. Same thing in worship. God did not reveal everything to us. Actually, he revealed some. He withhold some truth from us. And that is the mystery. God, as you see him, there is that mystery in God that, that captivates us, that, that uh, mesmerizes us. You cannot explain it. You can describe it, but I must go and see for myself because God is there. I must worship. Imagine if, if God has revealed everything to us. It might be boring. That's the mystery. That's why we are captivated. We are drawn to the mystery and we must worship. Just like Moses was said, Moses said, Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? Just like the author of this verse, we should be captivated by God's glory, beauty, and majesty. And we cannot help it but just praise Him with admiration and wonder. Next, please. <clears throat> Verse 4, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied, 
Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. That brings us to principle number two. When we realize we are in the midst of God's holiness, we respond with deep reverence, obedience, and confession. To understand this, let's understand what is holiness. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 6. In the year of King Osiah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out in the another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. You can see here, holy is mentioned three times. This is the only word that is mentioned three times in the whole Bible. You cannot find the Bible where it says God is love, 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 or God is just, just, just. It is only this word that is repeated three times. God is holy, holy, holy. Now, what's the meaning of that? In Hebrew grammar, this means the holiness of God is limitless to the nth degree. It cannot be measured. It has no end. It's infinite. That's the holiness of God. That's the otherness or the being different. God is so different by, uh, from his creation in a infinite degree. So I say to Moses, keep your distance and take off your sandals. The pulpit represents the presence of God. You can see here there's a distance between the pulpit and the pew. That has symbolical meaning. And usually the pulpit is elevated, but also has a symbolic meaning. For example, <clears throat> uh, a prince, or let's say, let's say a prince from Buckingham Palace, he's here. Would you say, oh, hey, bro, <laughs> nice to see you, all right. Could you do that? No. You have to keep your distance because you're different from him. And you have to respect him because he has a higher status. The same thing with God. God's holiness is so limitless that you have to keep your distance and, you, and uh, his nature is above, way, way, way above us. You have to uh, respect him. And why did Moses have to remove his sandal? You know why? It's the same dirt anyway. Is it because he's got dirt on the sandal? The same dirt on the um, around the bush. But the reason is when the presence of God is in the bush, the ground surrounding it becomes holy. It's still dirt, but the nature has it has now a different nature. It's become a holy dirt. And the dirt from the sandal of Moses is coming from outside. It is unholy dirt. That's why God said, do not mix unholiness with holiness. That's a no-no. 
That's why God, that's why Paul says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers because even though we still flesh and blood, we are holy, we are different from them. We should not speak like them. We shouldn't have the same manners like them, the same lifestyle, the same thinking because we are different. Paul also said that a Christian woman, a, a Christian woman, a child of God, should not marry an unbeliever, a child of the devil, because if she do that, she will have the devil as father-in-law. Right? <laughs> that means trouble. Do not mix unholiness with holiness. And the Hebrew word for holiness is kabod. You heard the name Ichabod? The opposite, the glory has departed. But kabod, it means weighty. It means heavy. God is so heavy with holiness, with glory. Do not make it light. So when we see God's holiness, it drives us to repentance. Look as we continue. And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling this with smoke. Then I said, that is Isaiah, Woe is me, for I am ruined. Curse is me. I am undone. For I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of glory. When we are in the presence of God, we see his glory, his holiness, and look at ourselves. Oh boy, I'm so filthy. It will drive us to confession and repentance. There's an, uh, there's an incident in Leviticus next about Aaron. Aaron's now, a sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put them in them, put fire in them, and added incense, and they offered an authorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So the fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. There is a specific law in the temple, but what you should do in putting censers. In censers, it refers to the glory of God, the Shekinah. And these sons of Aaron, they make light of the glory. They make kabod, which means weighty or heavy. They make it light. They put different fire. They make a shortcut, maybe. And at that instant, they died before the Lord. And next, Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke. Because Aaron said, why? Why did God do this? Moses then said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, Among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. I will not anyone lighten up my glory. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. Aaron remained silent. That's it. When God says it, that's it. No question. But sometimes we do bring unholiness. In the church, whatever that is, in speech, in manners, uh, unholy uh, in our thoughts, in our lifestyle, unholy things in our bag, unholy things in our Facebook, in our iPad. We should be thankful we are in the age of grace right now. 
Because if we are in the days of Nalab and Abihu, all of us could have died already. Because we have insulted, we make it light, the glory of God. So it says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. There should be confession and repentance. It's like in the days, the, uh, days of the temple, what if the priest would enter the holy place and the holy of holies for the high priest? Before they do that, they, there's a, a basin inside, outside that they have to clean themselves. A symbol of purifying and making themselves worthy before approaching the holiness of God. And that's serious. And again, we have light in God's glory. But God said, even though there's no fire in heaven to consume us, God is storing his wrath in heaven for those who disobey, those who insult his kabod, his glory. I am the God of your father, verse 6. The father of, uh, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. And it's true. Christ said, no one can see God and live. Because his glory is too pure, it's too bright that we will melt before the glory of God. But fearing God is not because he is a tyrant or a dictator. We fear God because God is holy and just. We are afraid to commit sin because if we do commit sin, we know that God will be upset. We will grieve the Holy Spirit. And because he loves us, he will discipline us. Because the Bible says God disciplines those whom he loves. Nowadays, Fear of God is not a virtue. That's the problem. We are more afraid of crossing the red light. Right? But we are not afraid of cheating, of gossip, just backbiting. We are not afraid of God, but we are afraid of our boss. Right? We want to get up early during work days because if we are late, our boss will get angry. That's why we are afraid of our boss. But when we are late coming here, we are not afraid of God. When we meet, we meet with dignitaries, with the governor or the president, we give our best, the best dress, the best behavior, best manner, and we have the refined speech. But in church, do we give the best? The best manners, the best behavior that we have, the best dress. Don't shoot me. I'm just a messenger. <laughs> Where is the fear of God in this church today? Where is the fear of God in this church today? Let's give us to bring us to principle number four. 
of verse 9. Are we in verse 9? Says in uh, principle number two, when God reveals himself to us, you worship with divine fear and adoration. So it says here, let's go to Exodus. This, one, this is the, sometimes I miss this type of fear in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. Here's what happened. When, now, when all the people saw the thunder, and the flashes of lightning, and the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trampled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Christians are sinning and sinning here and there because there's no more fear for God. Let's go to verse 9. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. I'm sending you. Do something. Now that you have heard me, you have heard what I've done, and I'm going to do, do something which will lead us to principle number four. After we heard God speaking to us about what he has done, he's doing, and will be doing, we ought to do something. Worshippers, if they have truly worshipped God, when after listening to him, to his word, they will do something about it. But what they have heard, they will do something by confessing, repenting, they will obey what they have heard, they will apply what they have heard, they will practice in their daily lives what they have heard, they will teach to their children, they will witness, they will serve and minister, and they will give. Then change will happen to every believers that will do something. If you do something to what you have heard, something will happen. You will grow. You will mature. You will have joy in your life. There is spiritual victory. It's come. The, uh, let the trials come. Let the suffering come. I will have victory because I have worshipped God. I have done something with the word of God. They could withstand trials and suffering. They will become kind and loving and patient and a good witness to the Lord. Just like what the woman caught in adultery. She did something. She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. This is what you should do. Go and sin no more. There's a change. True worship is when there's change. When you get out of the door, there's growth, there's maturity, there's confession. There must be a change if you do something about it. Go and sin no more. And 
in James, but prove yourself doers. You're doing something out of the word and not merely hearers who delude or just deceive yourselves. So if we show ourselves that indeed we are believers, the worshiper putting what you have heard into action, then you have become an effective witness to the unbelievers. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians 14.24-25, But if all prophecy, if all God's message, and an unbeliever or un uninformed person enters, he will be convicted by all. He sees, he will feel that God is here. There's chains. There's true worship. He will be called to account by you all. The secrets of his hearts are disclosed. He will be convicted. He will be mesmerized, captivated by the presence of God. And in this way, he will fall down with his face to the ground and worship God, declaring God is indeed in your midst. God is really among you. Our worship, which is true and real, has become our effective witness to the unbelievers. We don't need to go, yeah, you go to hell. The end is coming. We don't need to need that. Just by looking at us as you worship, that is a good witness already. Thank you for this opportunity, and God bless us all. Pastor Benji, you know, the real heart of this comes down to this question. Have we really worshipped if we're unchanged? If there is nothing different about us before, <coughs> after, than there was before, have we really worshipped? How do you respond when you come into the presence of God? What is it about Him that makes you respond? And what is it about us? That encourages all those around us to respond in faith. Because if our lives reflect the change that he's made in us, then just maybe they'll believe that it's possible in their life. And so this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to come before God this morning and say, Lord, I have been in your presence. I've heard what you've done. I've seen what you're doing, and I choose to follow you in this way. And so in just a moment, Taylor's going to come, and he's going to lead us in a song, and I'll be here at the front. Pastor Corey will be here. And if God's laid on your heart something that you need to do with him, some response to what you've heard today that you need to take, then, then by faith would you just say, you know, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do what you said. Maybe that means coming here to the altar and praying to him. Maybe that means saying, Lord, I just want to give this to you. I just want to trust you in this. I want to, I want to celebrate you in this. Maybe it's to come and pray with one of us that we would be able to pray with you and help you uh, see in God's word some answers that maybe you're looking for. Or maybe this morning you're here and you're saying, wow, there really is something to this God thing. It's not, it's not a coincidence that all these people have come into this room. There must be something real here, and I want to know what it is. 
And if that's your heart, I want to invite you to come and let me share with you from his word, not from my own experience, from his word, what he wants to do in your life too. Would you answer his call this morning? Would you stand with me to your feet? And, and as we sing this song, if God's laid on your heart that you need to respond, that you need to change, then this is your opportunity. Would you come? Even now, would you come?